All right, our text is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, as we look at the great escape. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. Okay, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, we read this, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now shall we pray, Father, escaping the corruption of this world, escaping the destiny of hell is a great escape. And it is only through Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. Now, Lord, as we have our folks here in this auditorium and those listening by Internet or watching the live stream and listening on WTYG, I pray that this message, if they're saved, will be very edifying. If they're unsaved, it may bring them to Christ. And overall, that it would bring great glory to your name. And we'd ask this in that name above every name, the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. If you watch politicians who are maybe in trouble of going to jail, uh, They'll have a press conference and they'll have some very carefully chosen words with many lawyers standing around them to kind of help them out. Sometimes uh, lawyers uh, make all the statements instead of the politician. And they use those chosen words to help them escape the great consequences that may happen in a court of law. Uh, Stories told of a a lawyer, a surgeon, an architect. None of them really believed in, in creation. But they were theistic, theistic. They said, well, God got it started, and then all these other things happened. And so they got to arguing, well, then how did he start? What happened? And, and the surgeon says, well, you know what? Uh, God made Eve out of Adam's rib. That sounds like surgery to me. I think I have the oldest profession. The architect says, well, God created this heaven out of chaos. So I think that means the architect was even before that. The politician says, who do you think caused the chaos? (laughs) Well, Regardless, when they are wrong, they are wrong, okay? But, but again, carefully chosen words. And I say that to point out that every word of God is important. It's very important. That's why Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. In other words, when you're trusting God, you're trusting his word and you're acting upon his word. That's why Psalms 138 verse 2 says that he has exalted his word even above his great and holy name. Because it is by this word and his Holy Ghost that he guides us. And so I want us to look at this verse and see some more important uh, meetings of these words. The great escape mentioned in this verse makes us realize what we have escaped. In the first three verses of this chapter, verse 1 showed us that we have a like precious faith as the Apostle Peter has. That is, we're saved the same way that he was saved. You know what? 
Uh, Peter's salvation isn't any different than anybody else's. And ours is not any different than the way Peter got saved, the way Paul got saved, the apostles. We, we're, everybody is saved the same way. If they get saved, they're saved the same way they were. It is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy that he has saved us. We say, uh, so I quoted this morning from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, For by uh, grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, those two verses lets us know, Jesus Christ did all the work. You don't work for salvation. You don't help him save you. Jesus did it all. Ours is receiving that through repentance and faith in him. Not a work that we do. We don't do penance to get saved. We repent and we come to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But verse 10 said, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now look, we can get our ideas, well, I want to do this for the Lord. Our Maybe our motives are good. I want to do this for the Lord. I want to serve the Lord this way. I, I want to be active this way in the ministry. But the Lord may have something different for you. It may not be the way God wants you to do it. I mean, uh, uh, Dr. Banfi over here, dean of the business school, I believe it was, and uh, at Crown College. Okay, that... that you think of all the education, everything that went behind that and reaching that point in life. And then God calls him to Burma. Burma. At this stage, you say, well, why would you go there? Because God called. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained. God's already laid it out. It's up to us whether we follow that. But understand that workmanship is an ongoing workmanship in our life. I, I will never arrive in this life, so to speak, to say, okay, now I'm there. No. That work has to continue in my life as uh, one of God's children. Now, do you remember when your children, it's maybe three or four years old, and, and, and you guys, your, your wife has just told you, you know, I want this chair on that side of the room. And so you pick up that chair, and you start going to the other side of the room with it, and that little boy, about three or four years old, puts his hand on it, put, maybe puts both hands. He's going to help you. And so now you're going over there and you're trying not to step on the kid and you're trying not, and you go over there and he's helping you. Boy, he thinks he's doing it all or he's doing just as much as you are. And you get over there and you set it down and then you look at that little fellow and you say, wow, thank you, good buddy. I don't know that I could have moved it that way if, uh, if it wasn't for you. All right, now, that little boy, hey, man, this is great. You know, I got to help Dad move that chair more. That, that is wonderful. And he really thinks, and yet, Dad, you did it all. For some reason, they become teenagers, and they could help you. They don't want to help, okay? But uh, you see, in our salvation, that was it. We come to him for salvation, and just like that chair may be moved and set over here, and that little boy may rest in that chair. But that boy didn't move the chair there. You did. I rest in my salvation, but it was Jesus Christ that saved me. You see, he's the one that saved me. And so when, when you look at things like that, I, I think of verse 2 where uh, 
he gives grace and peace. Just as our salvation, he also gives us peace with our salvation. Because he comes to us, that salvation comes to us by Jesus Christ. We are to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. In the knowledge of his uh, will as well as his word. We're to grow in him. And as we grow in him, we know the peace. Remember Romans 8, 28, 29, for we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, for those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, he had talked earlier about the sufferings of this present time being great. But now he's letting them know, but all those things work together for good. For those who are love God are the called according to his purpose. But it doesn't stop there. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, I... I I kind of get a kick out of that verse because a lot of Calvinists jump on it. Say we're predestinated. It says it right there. Yeah, saved people are predestinated to be conformed to the image of God's Son. I mean, you've got to stay within the context. He's not saying that a saved person is predestinated to get saved. He's already saved. We are predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. And, and I see that then later when it gets to Romans chapter 12. I beseech you therefore, I'm strongly urging you therefore, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And the, I told you before, the Greek word service has the idea of worship in it. We actually can worship God with our body by having it holy. And acceptable unto him. That's in your speech, your demeanor, your dress, every which way that you can think of. Our bodies should be holy and acceptable unto him. But then the next verse builds on that. And he says, and be not conformed to this world. You see, you can't be holy and acceptable unto God and be conformed to this world. The word conformed uh, there in, the way, in its usage there has the idea of to emulate the world. And yet to apply it to make it look like it's spiritual. Why do they have rock and roll in churches today? They're emulating the world, and yet they're trying to make it religious and spiritual and to sound good to ease their own conscience about it or to try to get the Holy Spirit off their back. And so, he says, and be not conformed to the world, but be transformed. Now, a lot of times we stop at conform, but don't stop at conform. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, your mind has to be in this word. And think on his person and, and direct and, uh, for him to direct you to seek his word, that his word might be a lamp unto your feet, show you yourself, and show you what needs to be taken care of, as well as the, a light to your path to show you the direction to go. You must always seek the Lord in these things. And that's where you find then the peace that comes into your life, regardless of the circumstances that are there. And so you'll notice that escaping the corruption of the world also leads us with a call, as verse 3 said, to glory and virtue. Now, isn't it interesting that in the Bible, now, I'm not talking about men and their wrong interpretation of the Bible. I'm talking about in the Bible, we never see where God applies liberty and grace to fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's the opposite. It's the liberty and grace given to us to be freed from the power of the lust of the flesh. You see, people think, well, I can drink now because, you know, that's, that's under the law. 
hey, I, I can do this because, you know, those other things are legalistic. No. No. The law was to show us that we're sinners. The law never saved a soul. Old Testament saints were saved by looking forward to the sacrifice for their sins, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're saved by looking back to it. But understand, the law didn't save them. The law only did the same thing for them. It shows us that we're sinners. Never think of God's, the all-holy, the all-righteous God's grace and liberty as being free to fulfill the lust of the flesh. It never, 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 never is. Now keep it in mind, these are things, uh, these things are not what leads to an escape. We do these things because he has delivered us from the corruption in the world that all of a sudden now we are just seeking him through his word and partaking of his divine nature as our text says. And that corruption in the world comes through how? Lust. We escape it via the gospel. Our lives are lived looking to eternity. Keep eternity from God's perspective. Okay, from God's perspective. Now, there's people say, keep eternity in your heart, and they do everything that's wrong, but they say, oh, that's all right. No, keep eternity in your heart, looking ahead to the joy that is set before us. Keep eternity in your heart from God's perspective, anchored in your heart, focused on the promises that he has given unto us. And he says those promises are great and exceeding and precious. So we see the reason to keep our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. To keep our focus on the word of God as we're taught of things to come. Not only into this world, but the things to come in heaven. You see, some are saved so as by fire. That's being ashamed at his appearing, 1 John 2, 28. Some will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful in a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many. And so we have that going for us. So, when you look at this, understand, he said, great, exceeding great promise. You know, words mean things. Sometimes we throw out words with no idea of what they mean. That's why you had the misuse of the word grace, liberty, and so many other words from the word of God. People don't know what they mean. They just throw them out there and not really understand. Exceeding great in this Greek form has the idea of utmost importance. Let me illustrate that for you. For some reason, I, I outgrew this, but when I was a little guy, if I got stung by a bee, I'd start to swell up, and they'd have to rush me to somewhere to get a shot, or if they let it go for about 24 hours, they'd get rid of all their problems. Uh, so I had to go get a shot. I think I was about eight, maybe nine years old at that. I think it's probably about eight years old, but I was... My parents had gone somewhere in the car. My older brothers 
were in charge of watching me, and so they sent me outside to play. And so I was out there. I don't know what I was doing, but it was in Tennessee there in the mountains there, and I got stung by a bee. And I got stung right there on the lip, just above the lip. My, my lips, the upper lip swelled up and went down almost to my jaw. So I'm, I'm starting to swell up, and wherever I am playing, I'm walking back, and here comes my dad and mom in the car driving down the road, and dad looks out and sees me walking there and says to my mother, look at that boy. Man, his face is a mess. That poor, that poor boy. Mom says, yeah, that's Andy. Yeah. I don't know if he said I should have known that, but, I, but uh, I had to go get a shot. So they took me, I get a shot, and of course everything's all right. I don't, you don't have to spend the night in the hospital or anything like that. Now, uh, did I really look forward to getting a shot? <laughs> no way. But I also thought the shot was a whole lot better than the consequences. Much better than the consequences. I did not like the alternative. You know, we may not like the idea of admitting we're sinners that deserve to go to hell. And if I don't get right with God and just trust him completely with the salvation of my soul, I'm going to try to do it on my own. I want you to understand that if that's the way it's going to go, you need to know that you're going to go to hell. We're going to go to hell if we're crying on our own. Now, so we've got to humble ourselves and, and admit that we're sinners and believe the gospel that he died for us. But that is so much better than the alternative. You don't like the shot, but I'm thankful for it. I must admit I'm a rotten sinner that deserved hell, but the price was paid by Jesus Christ, and that is worth it. You know, really, when you think about it, we all, I mean, especially myself, but we all ought to be ashamed when we see the wrath that was outpoured on the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That outpoured wrath at Calvary and realize that the wrath and the punishment is what my sin demanded by an all-holy God and a God who hates sin, the God who has nothing to do with sin, the God who created a lake of fire because of sin, became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. What a Savior. No wonder when we read, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Wow. Think of the impact of those exceeding and great promises. They're from God. And God cannot lie. And he, these promises are for us. And just as we said this morning, uh, not all of them are positive, what we'd call positive promises. But from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 to uh, Revelation twenty two twenty. Henry Morris tells us that there are over 3,800 promises. And those good promises are for us. 
Now again, he said promises. That's plural. When you're an obedient child of God, those promises are great things. Just think of the John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Giving his own son. Now, the difference here is that son existed in eternity past in spirit. But that son became a man. He, he, he came upon, the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and put seed inside her. That's not a sexual thing. He came upon her, placed that seed inside her body, formed the seed. And that seed became a living soul of a human soul. He had already existed in eternity past. But he did this, went to all this for us, his only begotten son. And so he became for us what an all-holy God hates. And Christ died for us. How profound is that? How profound is that? How much does he hate sin? Because his hatred of sin reveals to us the exceeding greatness of his love for us. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now that's not like a shot that you go into the lake of fire and Get that one initial burn and it's over. That initial shot and it's over. Oh no. Oh no. Revelation 14, 10 and 11 says, The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the angels, holy angels, and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest day nor night. In other words, what he is saying is that... uh, that person goes, that, that, that spirit of that man, that woman that died without Christ goes to this lake of fire, never ceases to, to exist and will never escape because they did not get saved. They did not receive Christ as their Savior. And yet salvation was offered to them. So that tells us how precious How precious this salvation is because no other human being could have paid for it. I couldn't have paid for it. You couldn't have paid for it. Only Jesus Christ, God, had to become a man to pay for our sin. That's a whole lot more important than a bee sting cure, isn't it? But, unlike the bee sting cure, where I had to get a shot, The sting, just like a shot, the sting of death is sin. So he became sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He didn't become a sinner. He became sin. All my sin, all your sin placed upon him on that cross. That's why Isaiah chapter 53 tells us 
that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. When it was his only begotten son on the cross, it did not change his attitude about sin, and he poured out his wrath on his human spirit as no man has ever. The the first three hours of the cross, that is terrible when you see that bloody mess in your mind, head to toe, that naked body hanging on the cross. But that wasn't the worst part of the cross. The worst part was the last three hours when the wrath of Almighty God the Father was poured out upon His only begotten Son for our sin. That was the worst. And that was accomplished because God so loved the world. Now these exceeding great and precious promises. Precious has the idea in its Greek usage of not only of great value, but of rare value. That's why we sing precious name, oh how sweet, hope of earth and joy of heaven. You see, it's the only way to have it was through this gospel of Jesus Christ. And think of the great and precious promises that are written in this New Testament that we have. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. Again, question I've asked several times. How many times does God have to say whosoever for it to be true? And he says it quite a few times in the word of God. Don't let men misguide you on that. Oh, yes, it's a precious salvation. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, what about after our salvation? Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, that's the salvation that we have in him. How about 1 John five thirteen? These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of, son, of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. You know why I have eternal security? And I'm sure of it. Because I believe on the name of the Son of God. And He does not lie. Okay. Mine is to make the decision to receive it. To turn to Him for my sin. To turn to Him for my salvation. But His, after I'm saved, He keeps me. And yet, in keeping me, there's also the idea that he still allows that free will so I can choose to follow in his will after I'm saved. So, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe, that is, rely on the name of the Son of God. That is why the Greek word is translated promises is a different Greek word uh, that appears only here and in the same book in chapter 3 verse 13. Look over there. He says nevertheless we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. You say well what is the idea of the word promise here in these two words that, that uses a different Greek word than the normal word for promise. Well it is a promise with assurance or a guarantee by God. That's why we're told that the Holy Ghost is the earnest of our salvation. 
and earnest is money that you put down on something. And if you don't come through on the full payment, then you lose that money that you had to put up. The Father, for our soul, put down the down payment by the Holy Ghost being the earnest. So that when we're caught up and we stand before Him at His throne, that blood is there that saves our soul at the great mercy seat. And God's not going to lose His Holy Ghost, so He's not going to take away my salvation. The promises of God are sure. Eternal security. Trust the Lord. Now, that's also direct, uh, derived from another Greek word, which means to proclaim aloud. And God, by his errorless word, makes promises that are loud and clear. Notice the fifth word of our text. He says, we are given, uh, whereby are given unto us. Us. That's <laughs> you and me. Us. That is, saved. As we've seen in these first three verses, the moment you were saved, you received, you were the recipient of his divine nature. Now, that doesn't mean, the word divine does not mean that you became God. It was his divine nature that he gave you. Again, we are partakers of the divine nature. But we're not divine in and of ourselves. And also don't forget, according to the word of God, we still have that old nature. Romans chapter 17, verses 15 through 25, if you, talk, you read that sometime on your own. But he says, hey, the good I do, I end up not doing it. The bad I wouldn't do, I end up doing it. And so it all comes down to whether I'm walking in the spirit or walking in the flesh. My failures are always my fault. As a Christian, the forgiveness is always on his side when I come to him. Now, God doesn't forgive me if I don't come to him. But if I come to him, seeking his forgiveness, admitting my sin, he forgives me after my salvation and the things that I do after my salvation that are sin. So this verse is setting a foundation for when we get to uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. Look at chapter 2, verse 20, just quickly. For... Uh, if after uh, we have escaped the pollutions of this world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. Now, some people say, oh, see, that shows you lose your salvation. No, the beginning is when you first got saved, you were like the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross died, but he had no eternal rewards. But being saved so as by fire is a whole lot better. It's a billion times better than the guy that is at the best place in hell. And so it's even worse than when he first got saved. Think of that. As a Christian, all that I can lose and it's on me. I've got to walk with God. You've got to walk with God. We each need to learn to walk with God and stay true to Him. Stay true to His Word. The moment you got saved, you received the very Spirit of God and His preserved Word 
so that you could serve him and not fail him. But ours is to apply ourselves to the study of his word and the obedience to his word. Now, think of it this way. The moment you got saved, you did not receive a new mind or a new body. <laughs> I hope like everything, I don't have this body for eternity. Okay, so when you got saved, you did not get your new mind, a new body, and everything that you have in heaven. It's called the new birth. Now, at conception, when a child is conceived, there's no fingers. I mean, if, if the day, the very, within 24 hours after that child is conceived, they, they, they do one of those imaging things. They're not going to see fingers. They're not even going to see a heartbeat. Yet that is a life. That is a life. The life doesn't start when the heart starts beating. The life starts at conception. In sin did my mother conceive me. Life is at conception. And that spirit that we were created in, God's spirit, we were created in the image of God and God is the spirit. That spirit has entered into us at the moment of conception. Not the Holy Spirit, but rather the spirit, the human spirit that God gives us. At the moment of conception, we have that spirit. And yet, we don't have the body that we'll have until birth. Have body forms, and then at birth. Uh, it's got the fingers, it's, it, it, it's got the, uh, the heart, it's got everything that, that it should have at birth. And my friend, I got saved. I got a new life. But the new body, the new everything else will not be until I get to heaven. And I'm with the Lord. And yet, that illustration of conception is not an absolutely accurate, complete illustration because some people miscarry. Uh, my wife, she, she's miscarried four times. I tell her that was God's grace because I would have had to raise those four kids, okay? And those kids, when I get to heaven, will say, I thank the Lord, okay, that I didn't have to grow up in your home. But, uh, but I'm saying that uh, nonetheless, that we will be in heaven we will be without sin's presence. We will be without sin's power. We will be without sin's penalty. That's why the Holy Ghost was given as an earnest to us by God. So that that is guaranteed. But when I get there, I want to have allowed the workmanship of Christ to have formed this new life that he gave to be a good body for all eternity that lays up treasures for him and not just saved so as by fire. We are told that we have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That is why we just read that in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. We're not to be entangled. Again, look at our verse. Whereby we are given to us great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Let me just give you three examples here 
Remember Moses at the rock. The first time, they're needing water. I mean, there's thousands, hundreds of thousands of people and animals and everything else there. They're out of water. And God tells Moses to strike the rock, and he strikes it one time. Water comes out and takes care of all of them. Later, they run out of water again in another part of the desert. These people are complaining their, their sin, they're, they're rebelling, they're against God and uh, complaining about everything. And finally, Moses goes to the Lord about this and he says, go speak to the rock. Moses is mad at their sin. I mean, that's clear in the Bible. He's mad at their sin. He, he rebukes them and everything and hits that rock a couple of times. The water does come out. But then Moses loses the reward, the reward of entering the promised land. Now, see, Moses disobeyed God. That first strike was a picture of the cross. After that, Jesus is not crucified afresh, but we call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. And he broke that type. And because he broke it, he broke that for one reason. The lust entered, the lust that is corrupt, and he reacted with a spirit of anger and lost his temper, which was bad in God's sight. And the lust of the flesh that led to a bad temper and anger cost him in reward. The second illustration is biblically and rightly we call abortion murder. This years ago, a man that was in another church, I believe that guy's probably with the Lord now, I believe he was saved, but uh, sometimes people will come to you, they don't go to their pastor because they want their pastor to think they're perfect. They come to me because they know I'm not perfect, so they don't have to pay attention if they don't like the, the counsel that I might give from the Word of God, but his daughter uh, was impregnated by an NBA player, and um, because of that, he didn't want her to be married to that man. He basically uh, said, I want her to be aborted, that baby to be aborted. He asked me about it, and I said, well, you know what, it's still murder. It's still wrong. It's still sin. And he was trying to justify it. Now, this guy was a Christian. He, he did things in his church, but actually he was a politician as well. But he thought about the embarrassment of her not married and the daughter having this baby. And so this politician who continued to speak against abortion yet allowed his own daughter and really demanded his own daughter kill the baby. He was trying to hide the sin in that manner. And that was the old nature of pride that got victory over the new nature. That's why we read in Galatians 5, 1, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, look, 
because that guy did that, he actually, I, I believe that he died an early death. He did call me. He apologized that he did not follow that counsel. But I'm saying that that's a lost reward for him too. And he's going to go to heaven, I believe you're saved, be caught up, and there was a baby that he's forgiven. He's confessed it. He's forgiven. But it cost him. It cost him reward. Third illustration, and I don't need to dwell on the sin of David and Bathsheba. But David did try to hide his sin with Bathsheba. In the process of hiding it, he had Uriah the Hittite killed, who was Bathsheba's husband. Later, the baby dies. Then his own son Absalom rebels against him. And this man named Ahithophel, who was his counselor, and they said in those days that his counsel was as the counsel of God. He was so wise. He sided with Absalom and, and, and David actually prayed, Lord, defeat the counsel of Ahithophel. But a lot, one of the things that we often miss is that Ahithophel was actually related to Uriah and Bathsheba. And David did this. His siding with, with, with Absalom was revenge. That was a lust of the flesh. David had a lust of the flesh. And the sword never departed from David's house. All these things, this lust, be it revenge, anger, pride as the man with the, had his daughter's baby aborted, adulteries with David. The inner pain of the punishment was greater than the pleasure or what they thought might be to their good of the sin in each case. The consequence was far greater. Now we saw the things of verses 1 through 3 where this text speaks of that ye might. What a shame to lose out on eternal rewards because we didn't take heed. Ye might is a result of taking heed. It would be so much better at the judgment seat of Christ to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, than to hear saved so as by fire. Yes, when you got saved, you missed the hells of fire forever. And that's a great escape. And Jesus freed you. But the question, 
from this text is, am, am I living righteously in glory and virtue? Can I honestly say that I'm not entangled again in the yoke of bondage? You see, when you actually look at this first chapter, this entire first chapter of 2 Peter, it's getting us ready for the second chapter when it talks about the problems that are going to hit in these last days. The Lord tries to equip us to serve Him. But there's personal responsibility when you get to verse 5, add to your faith, add to your faith, add to your faith. And He gives us things. We have a personal responsibility or we're going to be saved so as by fire. So again, don't waste the opportunity of the fullness of God's promises because they're great and exceeding. Now again, let me just say this in closing. Unless he's your Savior, the things I said don't pertain to you because hell is your destiny. And until you receive Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the one who died for your sins, paid your penalty in full, but you still have to receive it. You've got to humble yourself saying, yes, I am a sinner. I deserve to go to that eternal lake of fire. But I believe that Jesus died for me. And I'm going to give him my heart and life right now. And you make that commitment to him just like a man and woman make a commitment to one another in marriage. And if you'll do that, his promise is everlasting life. Let's bow our heads, please.